Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. We are sciencing it up and losing ourselves in the science. As the name would suggest, if you don't know what we listen to, yes, go and check the name of the show. It is indeed Lost in Science. And my name is Chris and with me, as always, is the lovely Stu. Stu, how are you? I'm lovely as always, apparently. Um, no, I'm good. I'm very good. Uh, it's nice to be here getting lost in science. Good. Do you have some sparkling science for us today? Well, you know, we always do like to have a look at the the science prizes that go out every year. Oh, yeah, of course. Of check course. in check in with who's who's the big hitters in science. And, of course, at the other end of the scale, the small hitters in science. Um, the Ig Nobel Prizes were awarded in September, and I thought we should just catch up with that before they zoom away from us in you know in time as they uh, want to do but I thought I would have a quick look at the uh, the winners the big winners of the Ig Nobel Prizes this year um, from the uh, from the journal the Annals of Improbable Research is usually the well always the uh, the awarder uh, the awarding body so for people who are familiar this is obviously different to the the Nobel Prizes yes um, so the Ig Nobel Prizes are awarded to research that uh, makes you laugh and then makes you think according to the the awarding body. So hopefully Good. hopefully this is what they will do. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Professor Frink would be proud. He would indeed. He would indeed. Yeah. Well, um, I, I too have some science to report on. Stu, are you familiar with the song, the classic song, Moon River? I am familiar with the classic song Moon River. Have you reflected on how scientifically inaccurate it is? See, I, you know, I have, but I, I did actually always think it was a song about a, a moon being reflected in a river, not actually a river on the moon, which would oh, be would... would be quite something, really. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense, Stu. Thank, yeah. thank you for thank you for explaining. This. And my story is redundant now, essentially. <laughs> Now, because I was going to talk about, I am talking about um, the possibility of, of water on the moon. It's something that is kind of, uh, yeah, people um, are sort of relying on it a bit for future moon bases and missions to the outer planets because you know, they can refuel and restock and everything like that with moon water. It seems to be, it seems to be the, the, the main thing that's driving a lot of the, the traffic, I guess, to the moon at the moment. There's a lot of countries trying to get stuff on the moon. To, exactly. to look for water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, there isn't, yeah, there would not be a river, there would not be liquid water. Um, there are obvious, there are, you know, temperature zones on the moon which would be, you'd think, would be compatible with water, but because of no atmosphere, it would just evaporate, essentially. So, but the, um, yeah, the belief is that there is ice on the on the moon, um, perhaps in the South Polar region or the polar regions. Um, I'm going to talk about that a bit and, you know, maybe one of the missions that's, that's heading there, but also some new research saying just finding out that, trying to work out how much ice there could be and there might not be as much as initially thought because we worked out a bit more about, yeah, how these, these shadowy kind of reserves might work in the polar regions. Well, that is very interesting. And and by the way, the uh, the theme of the Ig Nobel Prize award ceremony was water this year. So, oh, brilliant! Br- brilliant tie in there with the with the stories. Yeah, right. Well, um, I'll 
glad you're not dampening my enthusiasm for that. Um, let's just uh, yeah, go with the flow. What are you onto? Anything of interest to the uh, scientific community? Together, you and I are going to make the greatest single contribution to science since the creation of fire. It's a big scientific experiment. What do I know? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Yes, as I mentioned, the first annual 33rd Ig Nobel Prizes have just been awarded in mid-September, and it does give us great pleasure to report on the ceremony that recognises research that makes us laugh, then makes us think every year. I be- yeah, I believe there's, it's always the first annual, isn't it? Yeah, well... well That's one of their things. I think their argument is this is the first annual... 33rd Ig okay. Nobel Prizes. Yeah. So there, there's not going to be a second 33rd Ig Nobel Prizes. That's true. But it, That's is, true. Yeah. it is still the first one, um, which is great. I love the, I love the, uh, the, the absurdity of that. Um, as I said, the journal uh, Annals of Improbable Research is behind the prizes. Um, they do tend to vary what the prizes actually are um, based on effectively the whims of the judging panel, I think. Um, the 10 prizes awarded this year are in chemistry and geology, which is a single prize, uh, literature, mechanical engineering, public health, communication, medicine, nutrition, education, psychology, and, of course, physics, which always seems to get a prize, physics being, you know, a very important science, so I'm told. Um, a lucky one. That's a lot of prizes to, um, I don't imagine we have time to go through all of them. Look, I'll give it a try, but if we, you know, if I don't get to all of them, if I, if I miss your favourite prize, please let me know and um, I'll apologise personally, but probably not on the show. Um, <laughs> uh, now, it's the detail of the prize that matters. They do sound like reasonable prize categories, but obviously it's what, what the research is that really is kind of, the, uh, the 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 winning part of the um, of the Ig Nobel prizes, uh, as usual, the description of the prize is written for last, but it can sometimes hide a serious piece of research, just as often doesn't hide a serious piece of research. Um, so the geology and chemistry prize uh, was awarded for eating fossils, um, which is based on a long essay by prize winner Jan. Zalasiewicz, about why some paleontologists lick rocks. Um, There is actually some sort of, uh, you know, justification for doing this. It may or may not have valid methodology, but it is an amusing essay, and they basically got an award for writing a funny essay about why geologists lick rocks, or paleontologists actually lick rocks. Um, it, it, It wetting the surface of of rock samples shows up fossils easier. Oh, okay. That's so, fair enough. Yeah. But they also, some have written about the flavours of different... <laughs> different. Yeah, I've heard about that before, yeah, like um, salty um, compounds and that sort of thing. Yeah. A bit of, yeah. And, and some of them even think they can taste what strata it's from as well, which is a bit more doubtful. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting article. Uh, all of this stuff is on the Ignova website, which I'll mention again later as well. Um, now, look, as a teacher and presenter, I am glad that someone 
has finally looked into the sensations people experience when they repeat the same word many, 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 many times without meaning to, uh, which is a, a phenomenon known as jamais vu, which is sort of you know related to the memory thing, deja vu, which is probably more commonly known. Um, so they, they won the literature prize this year, but what they actually did was um, uh, checked on the brain activity of people when they were forced to say the same word over and over again, which is not quite the same thing. So, so yeah, like deja vu is when you have the feeling that you've already seen something that's new, whereas jamais vu, which is never, is jamais, um, French for never means you've something that is should be familiar, you feel like you haven't experienced it before. So in this case, they're trying to make a word sound unfamiliar by repeating it many, 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 many times. That is, is that, that right? is yeah. correct. And they'll, yeah, they'll actually look at the brain activity of people when they force them into doing this. But there's obviously, you know, people can accidentally do it as well, which is part of the reason they started to look into it because it, it's a, um, it's sort of a common thing, especially with presenters and teachers and things. You can forget something even if you've said it a million times before. Um, and maybe it is the fact that you've said it a million times before that makes you think, hang on, I've never talked about this. Um, but they, they won the Literature Prize. Now, I can't remember if we reported on this one previously or not uh, as a bit of wacky research. We might have mentioned it at some point. The Mechanical Engineering Prize went to researchers who built grabbing claws out of the bodies of dead spiders. Um, I don't know if we if you remember this story, Chris. I have heard of that one. That's like I think necrobotics or something. Don't they call it? Or yeah, it's yeah. It, aside from the cool name, because it is kind of a cool name, necrobotics. Um, but it seems like they did it just to see if they could do it. There doesn't seem to be any advantage to, to using spider exoskeletons as grabbing claws. It does you know you could design a much more efficient claw and build it without. Um, resurrecting the dead bodies of spiders, I think. But anyway, they did win the Mechanical Engineering Prize, even though, I mean, I guess it's technically mechanical engineering. It's sort of reverse engineering a spider or something. Maybe. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, the cool name, I think, probably won them the prize, the Necrobotics. So I know data mining and big data are revolutionising all sorts of fields, but the public health Ig Nobel Prize this year went straight to the bottom of the barrel um, or the bottom of the toilet bowl, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, went to the inventor of a toilet that can analyse everything that comes out into the toilet in various ways and give all sorts of feedback and analysis about the health of the toilet user, including their identity, because it takes a photograph and apparently uh, the the rear exit of the human body is sort of like a fingerprint, according to this this uh, scanner that they've built into the toilet. Now, I'd look for starters. I do want to see that used in a spy movie where, like, someone has to enter a secret <laughs> filling with their with their. Um, Anus print. Have to say. have to log in. Oh no, that's too yeah. much. Oh. It does sound a bit like the Theranos thing, like the that Elizabeth Holmes went to jail for, I believe. Yeah, I mean that was that was supposed to be a pocket-sized machine. This is literally the size of a toilet. So okay, um, I don't know. Maybe it's a case of TMI, that is toilet monitoring information. 
Hey. Um, the communication prize went to researchers studying the neurology of people who speak backwards, which I had to read their paper to figure out what they're actually talking about. People who are capable of easily changing the order of syllables of words when they speak, which is not what I would call speaking backwards, but that's how they keep referring to it in the prize. So apparently there are regions in Spain particularly where people um, sort of, it's sort of like a code way of speaking the language where they reverse syllables and they say things that everyone knows how to say it the right way around, but they say it the wrong way around in particular villages and stuff, which is an interesting phenomenon. But um, apparently people who can do this easily with with lots of different words in their language uh, have enhanced brain function in language processing areas of their brain. What a surprise. Wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, look, I just said that backwards. Wow. Oh, wow. I, I, didn't, I couldn't even pick up the difference, to be honest. It's so natural. Um, so, yeah, that was the communication prize. Now, <clears throat> the medicine prize will probably get up some people's nose. Um, it was awarded to a study of whether cadavers had the same number of hairs up each nostril. Um, was this like, but is this, I mean, are they, I feel they're talking about whether humans have the same number of hairs up each nostril, not just specifically cadavers. They're not like, well, do, do dead people have different numbers of hairs? Is that the question? It, is it? It's not going to change after they've no, you wouldn't passed on, it but um, I guess it's easier to count them in mm. cadavers, I suppose. I couldn't check what their answer was, unfortunately, because the, oh. the journal it was published in is is behind a paywall and I couldn't couldn't see but, their abstract or anything. Not even the abstract. No, couldn't even see the oh. abstract. Um, and obviously the volunteers in the study are not saying anything about the results either, so I couldn't check with them. Um, now, again, with the uh, nutrition prize, the prize went to scientists who experimented with electrified straws and electrified chopsticks to see if they would change the taste of drinks and food. Huh. Um, another paywalled journal article Oh, come there. on. I'm sure the results were shocking, though. We'll, we'll uh. just have to wait to find out. Now, the education prize was for work that showed something we probably already might have known, I guess. Uh, if students in a classroom expect to get bored, they're more likely to get bored. Amazing, <laughs> amazing work there. Um, also, they found that if the teacher seems bored, the students will also get bored oh, more really? easily. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that's really a wake-up call for anyone who has been a student or a teacher, to be honest. Mm. Um, but that they earned the education prize and it's good to, you know, it's good to kind of reinforce these things that everyone knows already because, you know, we, we, we can have some proof, have some evidence when we're trying to, trying to explain it to people. Uh, the psychology prize, an interesting one, it was awarded for work into how big a crowd has to be to attract the attention of passers-by. Um, they found that the bigger a crowd of people looking up at something the more passing people would also stop and look up. Which, again, I guess we probably could have guessed that would be the result. Um, I, 
Yeah, I feel like I think I think it was just today I saw someone looking up and one person and I felt it would be rude to look up, like to stand next to them and see what they're looking at. But yeah, and but maybe if there was you know two or three people, you might have felt mm. more comfortable joining in. Um, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's a lot more to it than what than than this simplified thing. But you know, as I said, we we probably would. If, if a crowd of people was looking up, we would probably think, yeah, we'll pro- I'd probably look up as well, see what they're looking at. Uh, but we have the science to prove it now. Here is, you can look up this paper and, and figure it out. You can look it up. <laughs> yeah, as long as like two or three people are looking it up. As, yeah, as yeah, well. Well, I'll, I'll check how many citations there are before I, before I download it. Um, and finally, the one we've all been waiting for, the physics prize which was looking at the drivers of ocean water mixing in the upper layers of the ocean. So the, the water at the top layers of the ocean gets mixed around quite a bit. A lot of these processes uh, which account for ocean water mixing are well understood. There's geological processes and meteorological processes, well documented, all of this. Um, but in this study, they were focused on specifically the sexual activity of anchovies, uh, and and the found the fish, yeah, and you know the saltiest perhaps. Um, found to the the sexual activity of anchovies was found to increase ocean water mixing by up to hundreds of times more than normal during spawning season, which is when wow. they 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 uh, appear in you know huge numbers at the surface and. S- froth up the water and, 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 you know, cause a huge amount of mixing of water. So this leads the researchers to believe that biological actions may account for much greater impacts on ocean processes than previously thought, which is a, you know, that, that's geophysics right there. Uh, interesting observation um, if an unusual uh, pizza topping they chose to, uh, to focus on. <laughs> um, well, look, you know, I didn't know if I'd have time to get through it all. Looks like I did. But uh, if, if you want to know more about any of these Ig Nobel Prize awards, if you want to watch the whole ceremony, it's all online at improbable.com, which is the website of the Annals of Improbable Research. And there are links to all the research that made the cut this year, as well as previous winners and a bunch of other silly stuff that might take your fancy as well i think we're lost we're not lost not even any short range radio signals yet except for a single very powerful radio emission of course a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard equipment the science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling of course that's uh it's mostly on the theoretical side what so far okay yes you listen to lost in science and as i said in the introduction i am talking about uh, missions to the moon, searching for the water, for the water that is on the moon, or believed to be on the moon. So water in the form of ice, because as we discussed, there would not be flowing liquid water on the moon. Now, the latest uh, kind of high-profile mission was from India, of all countries. I believe Russia had a competing um mission to try and beat them there this time around but they crashed their probe but the indian one the chandrayaan 3 lunar mission successfully made a soft landing at the in the south polar region although although they're having some trouble contacting it at the moment 
Yeah, so they basically they landed in August, the 23rd of August. Um, the the lander, the Vikram lander and the Pragyan rover are, are solar powered. So the plan was always they would do a bit of work, then they went to sleep at the around the start of September for the start of the lunar night. Uh, and then they were meant to wake up on the 22nd of September, but they have not responded to their wake-up call. So the Indian Space Agency is not panicking just yet. Uh, I guess they're going to have to keep trying to nudge them awake and hope that they will respond. Maybe they just keep hitting the snooze button. I mean, we'll just give them some time, right? Exactly, exactly. And look, um, a lunar day is obviously about a month. So, you know, maybe they've got a bit of time to, to think about the, the next cycle, really. So, yeah, as I said, they went to the South Pole region. Not, not that close to the South Pole, from what I can figure out. They're at about 68 degrees latitude, whereas most of the South Polar maps that I've been looking at for this story um, sort of around the 80 degree South latitude. But still, this is the, the most successful mission to the, the South Polar region of the moon. Generally, there's been a couple of other um, sort of crash landings in that area and orbiters flying over it and that sort of thing but this is the first successful soft landing in that area so it is quite a bit of a groundbreaking uh achievement and i guess shows you how difficult it is to to head to the south pole even though that is where a lot of the interest is now because the belief that why the south pole is so interesting is because as i said there could be some ice there so what you have you have a lot of rough terrain there and particular deep craters and the shadows in some of these craters, believe, could permanently shelter some, keep some areas cold that the ice would not uh, sublimate. So liquid water evaporates, uh, solids, when they turn into vapor, it's called sublimation. So, you know, if you expose this ice to the sun, then it will probably turn into vapor but if it's hidden in the shadows of these craters the theory is that it could stay there as ice isn't that instantly a problem for uh solar powered vehicles going to the shadiest part of the moon <laughs> well i'm assuming they've got batteries as well but they're okay. not necessarily going to go deep down into the deepest craters right you know when they go and check them out i guess yeah uh, but no, that is that is an excellent point that I, I hope that they have thought of. <laughs> Given that it's not waking up just yet, maybe they hadn't thought of that sufficiently. But yes, they call these, um, I think they call these things PSRs, permanently shadowed regions, these things. Now, the belief has been that there could be a lot of ice there. Um, but how much there is depends on the moon's history. And this is what this latest study has been trying to find out. So the moon, as we know, was created with a collision with a back when the earth was young a collision with a mars-sized planetoid called thea is believed to have hit the earth and spun off a lump in the form of the moon this was roughly four and a half billion years ago uh, now when this happened the early moon it turns out was actually very tilted so you're probably familiar with the earth having an axial tilt about it's 23.5 degrees and that's what gives us our seasons mm-hmm and as well as seasons, I guess important to this discussion is, you know, the um, the polar regions, you get your um, long winters and long, long, what do you call them? Uh, when it doesn't, the sun doesn't set for a few months. I forgot one of those. Summer? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you get very long days is yeah. what I'm saying at the South Pole. 
yeah. in summer. So, but yeah, the moons was tilted as much as 77 degrees. Oh, wow. And under, under those conditions, of course, you're not going to get any permanent shadows at the poles. Now, in summer, it's going to be exposed to, to the sun. Yeah. Um, but gradually, the moon has drifted away from the Earth in its orbit. Um, and uh, as it's done so, it's the dynamics of its orbit have changed. So in the early days, or early eons, it was very much influenced by tides from the Earth's gravity, tidal forces from the Earth's gravity. But as it's gone further away, the sun's gravity has started to play more of a role as well, and it's kind of straightened up. So now it's, yeah, it's, it's actually, it sits fairly straight, which is why you get such even kind of face to us the whole time. Mm-hmm. So this new study, um, which was by Norbert Schurghofer and Raluca Rufu, um, was trying to find out when this transition might have taken place. Um, so and what they found, that it was quite a gradual process. They did a lot of modelling of this, of how the actual dynamics work. They, they found that the yeah, quite a, a gradual process of this shift and that as late as 3.4 billion years ago, there was there was no kind of permanently shaded regions. So if you go earlier than 3.4 billion years ago, there was no areas that were permanently in shadow. So any ice that would have formed before that time probably wouldn't have had a chance of sticking around. So it's all just it would have all just sublimated and yeah, essentially been lost. Yeah, and. According to previous modelling, a lot of most of the water, which would have come from things like comet impacts and um, volcanic outgassing, so from minerals within the the moon, that would have come most the the majority of it would have come out between four point two five and three point seven five billion years ago. So you would expect that not to have remained essentially. Um, so yeah, it kind of puts a I'm going to say dampener, but a lack of dampening. <laughs> on the prospects for ice but it doesn't completely remove it. it just means that there is less than there would have been because there's you know there was still some uh outgassing up to about um two billion years ago so there would be a bit of a contribution perhaps from that so what you get you know kind of get water vapor coming out which then freeze on the surface um so yeah you could get some from there and it can also be water generated from the solar wind so you know particles emitted by the sun like hydrogen and that sort of thing will strike and, in, and react with chemicals on the moon's surface and can form water. So you could get small amounts of water just from the just from the solar wind. And so from their calculations, they think that it's even possible that some of the youngest kind of deep craters, um, some of them are like, I think there's one of them they've seen that's about 900 million years old, could potentially have small amounts of ice in it. It's just not this, potentially these really large quantities that um that were hoping to be seen so yeah um but it is a bit disappointing in that sense doesn't mean there could not be ice perhaps deeper underground perhaps you know we're talking about like surface ice in this in this scenario so ice that's you know at the bottom of these craters um so there could still be ice under the surface and that's i believe one of the things that the indian mission is trying to look for is whether there is some ice um yeah beneath the 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 dirt on the lunar surface um but yeah look it might be a bit disappointing but one of the conclusions for their calculations is that even though there is less ice there perhaps it's perhaps in more places they found that it can be in some of these younger craters as well which means there could be kind of more widely distributed it might be actually more accessible even if there's not as much of it 
as we as originally thought. So yeah, I guess they had to do some more modeling and hopefully get some uh, spacecraft down right down to those deep polar regions into these deep craters and see what is yeah on the the really the dark side of the moon. And that is all we have time for this week on Lost in Science. Thank you for joining us in Getting Lost. If you have any questions or suggestions for the team, get in touch with us by email. We are lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on the ubiquitous Facebook. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the land of the Kulin Nation and is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find a podcast version of the show on 3cr.org.au or you can tune in the way you did this week when we return in our usual time slot to get Lost in Science! listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.